Good morning, and happy Labor Day to, uh, to all of you suckers who still have to work for a living. Hang in there. Someday you'll be retired. You can spend 24 hours a day at home every day, or yesterday is just like today, and today is just like tomorrow. A high point of your week is the teen tournament on Jeopardy, or waxing your lawnmower. So, <clears throat> happy Labor Day to y'all. I want to begin by asking a question of the women in the room. So, guys, you're not allowed to listen to this. This is just for women, particularly women who are married. Would you be satisfied if your spouse was a hard worker who provided for you, who treated you with dignity and respect, who hung up his wet towels after he took a shower and mowed the lawn and sometimes even gave you gifts, but didn't love you? Teenagers, would you be satisfied? How would you feel if your parents let you use the car anytime you needed to? They were generous with your allowance. They went to your soccer games or your band concerts, but you knew they didn't love you? How would you feel? Would you be satisfied with that kind of relationship? I guess it shouldn't surprise us that God isn't satisfied with that kind of relationship either. God desires us to love him. That this God who is at the core of his being a God of love wants with us an intimate, personal, passionate relationship. So today we're going to be talking about that simple complex idea of loving God. Let me tell you why we're covering this today. I don't know if you've noticed, but I think anyway that churches are a lot like people, that churches have sort of their own personality, their own style, their own sense of what God has called them to do. So a church like Orchard Hill, for instance, we feel like God has led us to a a presence on campus. And uh, from the time the church began, we've had a ministry at UNI. Some churches are are big into recovery groups and working with Alcoholics Anonymous and helping people recover from divorce. And in the same way that churches need to figure out what their passion is, you know, their giftedness, it's much like the way we as disciples of Jesus need to do that for ourselves as well. How has God gifted me? What is he calling me to do? What's my sweet spot in service for him? So as a church, Orchard Hill has tried to sense for us what is our mission What's unique about Orchard Hill? And as you know, we have come up with this mission statement that says that we exist to help next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. But if that's what God has called us to do, then the next question becomes, so how do we know if we're doing it? You know, what, are the, what are the mile markers as we make that journey to help us see if we're making progress, if we are, in fact, doing and being what God has called us to do and to be? And so as a result of looking at that question, our leaders and staff have come up with what we call missional marks, the things we're going to be looking at to sort of measure how we're doing 
in uh, being the church that God has called us to, to be. And these missional marks center around love. And we talked about the first one at the gathering. Jeff taught us about, about uh, receiving the love of God. The second missional mark is then loving God in return. And then loving ourselves, loving our neighbors, and finally, loving our enemies. So today, we're actually looking at that beautiful, important concept of loving God. And let me tell you, it is amazingly important. 145 times in the Bible, God commands us to love him. It's at the core of what our relationship with God is to be like. Let me remind you that once Jesus was being questioned by some people, and he explained that. I'm going to read you a passage from Mark chapter 12, this verse, starting with verse 28. It says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Well, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. With our whole being, with every part of us, we are to love God. That, Jesus says, is the most important. It's the foundational command. It's the highest command. We are to love God. But we don't always, all of us, all of the time, do we? It's um, in the last book in the New Testament, the book of Revelation. Remember, this was a, a vision that God gave to Jesus' disciple, John. John's now an old man. He's in exile. And he gets this vision from God about things that are going on in the world at that time and things to come. And one of the neat things that happened was that Jesus actually sort of dictated to John letters that Jesus wanted to send to seven of the churches that existed at that time. One of the churches was the church in Ephesus. And Jesus wrote to that church saying this. This is from Revelation chapter 2. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and you have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. And yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. It's really sad, isn't it? I mean, here's a church that looks like it's really prospering and doing well, and Jesus commends them on the things that they are doing right. They're standing strong in the face of persecution and opposition. They're holding on to true doctrine and teaching. They're sorting out who actually is a person sent by God and who is not. Jesus says, well, you guys are great. You're doing a great job of that. There's just one thing that I hold against you. You've lost your first love. You're doing all these things, but there is no love. And I'm afraid for some of us, we would say the same things about ourselves. You know, maybe there was a time in your life when you had this passion for God, a longing to know him better, to be deeper in your relationship with him. But over time, that can cool. 
we can get so tied up in the kinds of things, good things, that the Ephesians were doing, but in the process, lose our first love. So we believe as a church, one of the things that we need to measure in ourselves is, are we loving God? Now, I want to mention today two roadblocks, two things that I think often keep us from that intimate, passionate personal relationship that God wants to have with us. And the first one is this. It's a distorted view of who God is. It's a misunderstanding of what God is really like. I, I find it heartbreaking sometimes when people will tell me that they read something in the Bible and rather than being drawn to God because of it, they've gotten this picture of God as a vengeful, spiteful, judgmental, condemning, angry God. But the picture that God gives to us is a picture of a God who is at the core of his being, a God of love. How do we experience, how do we focus, how do we clear up this misunderstanding of God? We need to see God as he truly is. So one of the things that we can do is we can focus on what God has done for us. Psalm 116, verse 1 says this, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. I would bet every one of us here, at some time or another, maybe many times, have cried out to God for help, and God has answered our prayers and been faithful in saving us. I'm so glad that Carla helped us to focus for a few moments on the tragic events that are taking place because of Hurricane Harvey. And like me, I'm sure you have been captivated as you've watched on television the rescues, literally thousands of rescues that are taking place there. I want you to imagine yourself in a situation like that, that your car has been swept with the torrents, this stream of flood water, and you've managed to get up on the roof of your car, but the water is rising higher and higher, and you realize in any moment it may sweep you away and you will be lost, and you're crying out for help, and a rescuer comes. National Guard, police, firemen, volunteers, neighbors, reaching out and saving one another. And in your desperation, moments before you're lost, you begin to hear that whirl of the helicopter blades and you see the rescuer coming and he's lowered down to you and at that last moment grabs you, you know, in his strong arms and lifts you up to safety. That's the picture that God gives to us of what his relationship with us is like. God is our rescuer. So often when we talk about Jesus, we call him our savior Maybe that word doesn't mean much to you. Maybe we would be better off using that word rescuer because that's exactly what Jesus does for us. He comes to us and he rescues us. God is reaching out to us in love all the time. God is good all the time. I love the image that Jeff used at the, at the gathering and uh, that we had in our video as we began this teaching time, that picture of the, you know, the bucket of water pouring down on the kids at the water park. My, uh, my wife and I just celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary, and, um, and we were expecting gifts. <laughs> but anyway, um, 
we decided we would take our family to the Wisconsin Dells for a few days. And so we went and we stayed at a resort that had six water parks. I spent so much time in the water, my whole body was shriveling up. And one of the water parks had one of those big buckets that would fill up with water and then tip over. It contained 10,000 gallons of water. 10,000 gallons of water. And it would ring a bell before it was getting ready to, to tip over, you know. And I'd start running the other day, way, and my granddaughters would grab me and they'd pull me because they wanted to stand right under it and just let that torrent of water pour over us. That's the picture that God gives to us of what he does for us. He pours out his love for us. Sally was at a conference, my wife Sally was at a conference once where the guy illustrated that with a, with a stack of pancakes on a plate. And he began to pour some, some maple syrup on the pancakes. And he poured a little, and then he poured a little more, and he kept pouring, and it covered the pancakes, and it filled the dish that they were on, the plate that they were on. It began to run onto the table and run off the table onto the floor. And he was picturing that extravagant love that God has for us that just keeps pouring out and pouring out upon us. God is our rescuer. How many times have you cried out to God to show his love and his mercy to you, and he has been faithful? You think about these rescuers in Texas, you know, risking their lives. I know at least one, one rescuer has lost his life trying to save the lives of others. And when God saves us, when God becomes our rescuer, it's not that there's a chance that he will lose his life. It's a certainty that when Jesus left heaven and came down to earth to rescue us, to be our rescuer, he knew what it was going to cost. It was not that there was a risk that he would die. He came in order to give his life. And when he died on the cross, he was paying that price so that God could rescue us. And imagine the rescuer who not only comes and lifts you up to safety, but he takes you to his own home and he clothes you, and he feeds you, and he provides for your needs. God is a God of love. He is our rescuer. And how can we look at God that way and not love him in return? Not only that, but God initiates that love relationship with us. God doesn't wait for us to reach out to him. God doesn't wait for us to, to get rid of the dirt in our lives. God initiates the relationship with us. Can you imagine the rescuer coming down and he sees you there on the top of the car hood and he says, oh, you are dirty. Go home and take a shower and then we'll come and rescue you. you know? God doesn't do that. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God initiates his love for us. Sally and I were both involved in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which is a university, a campus uh, Christian organization. And one of the things that InterVarsity did really well back when we were in, in college 50 years ago was, was they taught and sang and used some of the classic hymns of the faith. And one of them we sang in those days, I remember still to this day, because the words, the, the concept of it, touched me so deeply. It said, I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. 
It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found by thee. Thou didst reach forth thy hand and mine enfold. I walked and sank not on the storm-vexed sea. It was not so much that I on thee took hold as thou, dear Lord, on me. I find I move, I love, but oh, the whole of love is but my answer, Lord, to thee. For thou wert long beforehand with my soul. Always thou lovest me. How can we not love that God who rescues us from the power of Satan, who frees us from the grip of sin, who changes the course of our lives so that we will not have that inevitable fate of hell and separation from God? How can we not love him? So I think we can sweep that roadblock of misconception away if we can do as the psalmist does, who says, you know, I cried out to the Lord and he saved me. He's done that for you. I know that he has. And you need to remember that. You need to remind yourself of those times when God has done that for you. I, sometimes people will say, why, do, why doesn't God do miracles today like he did in Bible times? And my answer is, he does do miracles today. In fact, over the years that I've been here at Orchard Hill, time and time again, we have seen God do things which cannot be described any other way other than miraculous. The problem is we tend to forget them. You know, I wish we had a book. I wish we had written down every time God had done that very thing, rescued us in some miraculous way. And you too, you will forget. You will forget that time when you were so desperate and God saved you. You will forget how you felt that passionate gratitude that you felt toward the God who had rescued you. Remember them. Take time on a regular basis to recall in your mind what God has done for you how he has poured out and lavished his love upon you. He loves us. In fact, God loves us first. It says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. We love God because we have experienced his love. 1 John 5, 3 says, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So there's the second roadblock. What gets in the way of our loving God? One of the roadblocks is disobedience or sin. When we disobey God, it, it hurts the relationship that we have with him. You probably remember, no, you probably don't remember. When last time I taught about Adam and Eve in the garden when we were going kind of this overview of the whole Bible and I talked about the fall, and I said at that point, you know, I believe that God made that tree in the center of the garden off limits so that Adam and Eve would have a way to express their love for God so it wouldn't just be words, so that they could show through their actions that every time they didn't eat from that tree, they were saying, in effect, God, I love you, I'm grateful to you, and I trust you. And in the same way, God allows us to be obedient, to keep his commandments as a way of expressing our love. 
Listen to 1 John chapter, three, chapter 5, verse 3. It says this, and this is Jesus' disciple writing. He says, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. If we look at God's commands as something that are going to harm us, then it's hard to see keeping those as an expression of love. But what if they were? I mean, what if God made rules for us that were going to take away all the fun, they were going to make life hard and unpleasant? Even so, to this rescuer you know, who has saved us, I would want to live a life of obedience. But the Bible says, and I believe it's true, that every command Every law, every bit of instruction that God has ever given to us, he's given to us for our benefit. God is not trying to harm me through what he tells me to do, through the way that he tells me to live. In fact, it's through keeping his commands that I find abundant life. Like any parent who sets limits and laws for their children, not because they don't love their children, but because they love them so much they care that they will be safe and well and protected. And your heavenly Father loves you in that same way. And the laws he has given, the rules he has made, are for your benefit. They are not made by an angry, vengeful God. They are made by a God who loves you. And you can respond in love to God by keeping his commandments. The problem is we so often think of our heavenly father the way we might think of an earthly father. I mean, many of us grew up in homes, maybe you're still in one of those, where the, the word was, you know, you just wait till your father gets home and finds out what you've done. And what do you do? You know, you go to your room and you close the door and you're really quiet and you hope you're not going to run into your dad until he has a chance to cool down. And we carry that mentality over to our Heavenly Father. I've got to admit, it's, it's true for me sometimes. When I know I have sinned and offended God, I think, I'm not going to pray right now. I think I'll just avoid God for a while, you know, let this kind of pass over and then get back into a relationship with him. What a terrible misconception of how God relates to us. I mean, God knows what you did. It's not a matter of hiding from God. But think about how our sin hurts that relationship of love. Like Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned, that relationship that had been one of love and gratitude and thanksgiving because of their sin causes them to hide among the trees of the garden and the relationship becomes one of guilt and shame and fear. God doesn't want us to live that way. God doesn't want us to have that kind of relationship with him. So what I need to do and what I would recommend to you is as soon as we're aware that that roadblock of sin or disobedience has come into our relationship with God, that we push it aside by confessing our sins to God as soon as we're aware of them and believing that God forgives us through Jesus Christ. Now here's the tricky part. Remember when Jesus was writing to this church at Ephesus and he talks about all the good things that they've done, the obedience that they've shown, but he says, you know, but you've lost your love. The problem is we do not obey God in order for God to love us, but we obey God because God loves us. We cannot earn God's love, but he gives it to us freely. 
And I obey God because I love him, because I know that he loves me, and I don't want my disobedience and my sin to get in the way of that relationship. How can we not love God? How can we not love the God who has initiated that relationship with us, who longs? The God of the universe, the God of creation longs to have you love him, to enter into a deep, personal, passionate, intimate relationship with him. So I would encourage you to focus on the love of God, to let it wash over you, to remember how faithful God has been to you, and then to tell him that you love him. Any relationship needs time and effort to develop. You spend time with the person. You begin to talk together. You, you share more and more of life together. That's what God wants us to do with him as well. So here's what we're going to do as we wind up this teaching. I'm going to lead us in a prayer and I might call it a, a, a responsive prayer. I'm going to mention some areas where God has been faithful and good to us, and then I'm going to ask you to respond with me by saying, I love you, Lord. So I'll lead into that phrase by saying something like, we want to say to you now, I love you, Lord. And I'll ask you to join with me in that phrase each time. And then from this time of just telling God we love him, we're going to sing some songs and worship him, expressing that same gratitude and love that we have to God. So join with me, please, as we pray. Lord God, you are our rescuer. Boy, we see the picture of people's lives being saved by the rescuers who come sometimes at the last moment and lift them out of danger. We know that you've done that for us as well. Thank you so much. And we want to say to you now, I love you, Lord. The Bible tells us that your mercies are new every day. I know we take them for granted. We want to have the eyes to see them. We want to remember how you've been faithful to us again and again and again, how you've provided for us, how you have blessed us. And my prayer would be that as we focus on how good you are welling up from within us would be a love for you and so we say it to you now I love you Lord thank you that you love us despite our sin thank you that you didn't wait until we got our lives straightened out till we got everything cleaned up to love us but that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us and all the dirty stuff in my life that I keep hidden, that I hope no one will ever find out, you know, and yet you love me. And it makes me want to respond to you by saying, I love you, Lord. So thank you for seeking us out. Thank you for standing at the door of our hearts and knocking. We invite you in now. And we say to you from the depths of our hearts, I love you.